0: One we know where the powers of darkness fear nothing but one man. Stop! Blade. Now, those he has sworn to kill need his help to fight a new breed of terror. With the snipes.
1: Blade 2.
0: Call it off!
1: Ciao, my people, and welcome to our 85th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the Superhero Movie Podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be discussing Blade 2. And with me today to discuss the sequel to the first film featuring our favorite Daywalker is the one and only Mr. Moz Manzoor. Hey Moz, how you doing? And welcome to the podcast.
2: I'm doing real well. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Thank you. Oh, the, the pleasure is certainly ours. So today we are discussing Blade 2 from 2002, directed by Guillermo del Toro, who, are, this is, who we actually discussed in the two Hellboy movie reviews, written by David S. Goya. The original score is by Marco Beltrami. And an estimate to put in place money, this movie cost $79 million to make and made $228 million at the box office. So I definitely say not a bad, uh, you know, come out for when it comes to that. So my curiosity here is Moz. Why did you pick this movie first off? And are you, were you a fan of the Blade franchise and, and vampire films in general?
2: Oh, I totally was. And I remember being, you know, I guess, what year did this come out? 2002. 2002. So I was just out of college. I was probably working my first real fun job. Uh, but I remember loving it back then. And I loved the first one. And I really, really dug this one. Um and, and I couldn't wait to talk about it because I, I was a little bit into the vampire scene, but I really loved this movie when I was younger. Um, and uh, watching it back now, I was I was surprised at how much I still loved it. I felt right, the same so, emotion from
1: then. So, the, so you also did watch other vampire movies? I mean, were your fans of stuff like you know, um, Dracula, uh, Dracula for example, or I'm not. I don't think. I doubt the Twilight movies, but um, <laughs> No, not, not particularly. <laughs> but yeah, Bram
2: Stoker's Dracula, uh, I remember really liking. Um and um, gosh, what was the um? Were you a fan again? of the
1: Interview with the Vampire?
2: Right, that was a really good one too. I really like that. Uh, Tom Cruise is really great in that. Um, I was surprised at how good of an actor he was after watching that. I didn't think he was a really good actor, and I was like, oh, what? okay, maybe it's something too.
1: He definitely did a good job with that. So, you know, when it comes to, to to this film, you know, on your rewatch, what were your thoughts? I mean, did you did you enjoy it just as much? Did you find it did not age particularly well? What were your thoughts on this on this sequel compared to the first film?
2: I really enjoyed it. I was surprised at how much I still enjoyed it. I was a little worried that it might feel dated, that it might feel uh, not with the times. But at the same time, it sort of pulls you into that world. It it creates that atmosphere so well that you sort of give into it. It's like playing an old video game that you're really familiar with. Like I go back and I play Halo 1. Right. And, and the graphics are not that great, but they do a really good job of suspending your disbelief. Mm-hmm. So your mind fills in the gaps and the rest and you think you're really there. And it feels like a, a hard concrete wall, even though it's, you know, but it has a, a way of tricking your brain into thinking that it's there. And this movie did a lot of that with as much uh, effort as they put into with the environment. So you're mm. pulled in, and and the the realism of it just moves with it. Um, mm. I was glad for it because it did bring me back to like it. It almost seems like it was shot by somebody who does like Burger King commercials or something. <laughs> you know, it's like, Shh, you know, right. but I but I appreciated it.
1: Um, right.
2: Um, But, uh, yeah, uh, it didn't bother me at all. None of it did.
1: Did did you like kind of any other Del Toro's films, like with the Hellboy movies or even Shape of Water or Pan's Labyrinth or this kind of stuff?
2: I have not seen Pan's Labyrinth yet, but I really, really like the old uh, Del Toro uh, Hellboy movies. I Mm. thought they were absolutely great. Um, Everything from the art direction to the costume design um, was absolutely, uh, again, entrancing in the same way. Um, so I was a fan of his, for
1: sure. Oh, you know, that definitely makes two of us. And, you know, coming off the Stephen Norrington film, this one I think very much builds up the atm- on the atmosphere that was created in the, the, the Stephen Norrington one and possibly is even darker compared to its predecessor. And I was actually surprised, it being del Toro, that aside from the introduction of the Reapers, we don't really get any creatures which we know Del Toro is a fan of because he loves working with these kind of creatures. It was odd he didn't do that. However, it is clear that he is very loyal to his actors by who actually appears in this and pretty much Every The film I've seen, I've loved, and this is no different. And I love that, as I said, that he does then employ other actors that were in this, in other films, like Ron Perlman, who went on to, of course, become Hellboy, which I thought yeah. was, was great. And, and you get a couple of other ones too. So that was awesome. But let's start with the titular character who is on a quest to find his adoptive father and best friend, Wesley Snipes, of course, reprising his role as Eric Brooks Blade. So when it came to Blade in this film, Moz, what did you make of him in this? Uh, I,
2: I thought he does a great job. Um, it, it, he has to hit like the, these action hero moments and these action hero lines. Um, and, and I think he, he nails them. Uh, at every turn you feel like, you know, you're rooting for him. Uh, and, and they aren't that many of those scenes, but uh, when they're there, um, they feel great.
1: Mm. No, for sure. And I think I am very much there with you because I think if Blade was a badass in the first film, here I think Mm -hmm. Del Toro very much gives him an even bigger chance to shine, you know, between all the set piece fights where, uh, of course, Wesley gets to show off his martial arts prowess and what a great and compelling action hero he can be. And We don't get, I think, as many quiet moments where we get the more, like in the previous film, we got the more reflective and meditative side of Blade, which was a shame compared to the first film. I would argue that this one was more action-packed than its predecessor.
2: As far as how different he was emotionally, I think he was more stoic because he has learned that he needs to be. Mm-hmm. Before, whereas he could have been a bit more contemplative and, and uh, emotional. He sort of made those decisions already. He just has the goal in mind now. He's been so battle-hardened that, you know, I, I think that stoic nature was a choice um, from a character perspective, not necessarily the rest of the story perspective.
1: True. I, I mean, I would also argue that um, I would have liked more development of the relationship between Blade and Nyssa, for example. As here we get that she's possibly the only vampire he respects and has time for, and I suppose is almost a stand in for the character of Dr. Karen Jensen, whom we'd seen in the previous film, because she was kind of that love interest, if you will. And I think Nyssa was somewhat trying to be that and almost bridge the gap. Between you know the vampires and the humans, if you will. Um, granted, I think Blade is not the type to bear his feelings. You know, mm. though, the look, though the looks he gives her and through his actions, I think he does show he has a lot of respect for her and possibly love. But I think it's more respect of, from one leader to another.
2: Sometimes, do we need to be that heavy-handed with having a love interest story in every single story, uh, even though it doesn't make sense? You know, they've known each other for two weeks, you want them to love each other? That's a little <laughs> unrealistic. So from that perspective, like, they had, like, this chance encounter that felt real. It was nothing but short glances that they shared, and little things they did for each other to show us, hey, maybe there's something there, and she'll respond to kind of, like, a little smile that she had when, when he told her, uh, be careful or make sure you're out of the way when this thing goes off. That meant something. And I think those questions Quiet little moments it was a subtle thing and it wasn't really that forced on you but you felt like that it was building towards something that could be something um mm. and I think the, the ending still had weight um even though it was a very subtle muted uh growing together that they did
1: it's true and you do make a great point there because there are a lot of films where the two characters seem to meet and they're passionately in love after two minutes yeah. Hollywood, it's been a Hollywood trope since the dawn of the time. Where these people like met after two days and they're married the next day. So mm-hmm. you're like. <laughs> so I guess Del Toro did, did a good job with that. Also, I think we get to in this movie, we get to see how Blade is quite the chess player of, in life. As for the most part, he's always quite a few moves ahead of his adversaries. And how we get the reveal that he'd been on to Scud the whole time which I think also showcases how analytical he is in reading situations. And
2: how, how much of a poker face he needed to have. Like when you're playing mm-hmm. poker and you know you've got a good hand, you've gotta be even more still, mm-hmm. right? So maybe that speaks to his growth and, and the tactics he was playing the whole time. Everything was played close to the chest.
1: Well, well said. Uh, and any, any other thoughts on Blade before we move forward? Um,
2: not, not so much on Blade himself, but I did want to say something about, uh, an interesting thing you brought up about how we're used to seeing like these great elaborate and very creative and 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 subtly nuanced creatures that are really interesting to look at but here we don't get to see very much of that and it's a really interesting artistic exercise sometimes you can do to force yourself and paint yourself into a corner and force all of your creativity to be expressed in different ways Mm -hmm. Um, And that must have been an interesting exercise for him which is why i guess the world around everything was built with such detail Um, and why the creatures themselves are so interesting and fun to look at um, and seem really cool and unique, like nothing you've seen before. Even though that sort of split mandible thing, maybe we've seen in other places, but it felt so fresh and unique, like you'd never seen mm-hmm. it
1: before. Um,
2: yeah. So, and 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 I think the impact of those creatures wouldn't have been as much if everything else around it was just as elaborate. So it was, it was a really good use of his creativity and his talent. In there.
1: Well said, yeah. And we'll definitely talk more about the Reapers, right, for sure. No, 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 no problem. So let's get to Blade's best and possibly only true friend, the one and only Mr. Chris Christopherson as Abraham Whistler. Now, what mm-hmm. did you th- Granted, we didn't get as much of Whistler in this film compared to the first, but what did you think of, of him in this? And are you a fan of Chris Christopherson as a singer songwriter?
2: Um, I don't know. I know he he's written some songs before. I don't really, I don't think I know any of them. If I heard him, I probably would. But I'm a fan of his as an actor. I thought he was really great in this movie. Um, I was a little like they they turn him into a vampire in in the first one.
1: Is that well? How I it mean, ended? Well, no. We we it, it uh, it's almost implied that Blade kills him, or he's supposed to kill him, and then he pretty much. And then we find out that. That he was just taken away, if you will. But we had gotten that scene where Blade, where he had been turned. Yes, he had been, he had been turned at the time by Deacon Frost, apparently, yes. Right. So then now he has a cure
2: for vampires? Is that what they're trying to tell us? Apparently, oh, right. <laughs> yes. Okay, so just, just so they can cure any vampire at any time. So uh, maybe that uh, you know, makes Nisa an interesting prospect. Although mm. he's not human either.
1: He's immortal too, right, I guess? Yeah, well, I mean, Blade is obviously a a mix of the two because he's half vampire, half human. But uh, but yeah, um, so so, yeah, I mean, I I always has always loved the dynamic between Blade and Whistler in the first yeah. film. And I joined it even more so in this one, especially with Scud thrown into the mix as, yeah. you know, Blades, he's Blades apparently new ally in weapons make. And as much as Whistler has been through hell and back and rather than hang out at the Blade Cave, if you will, it seems like Whistler is more than happy to tag along with Blade on yet another mission. And the banter between him and Scud, where you somewhat get the old school versus new school, was just great. And it is a shame that Scud turns out to be a mole, as it was so cool seeing him and Whistler work on new toys for Blade and the blood pack. And though he's completely mistrusting of any vampire he lays his eyes on, Scud has him completely fooled, which is an interesting point. And you would think that Blade would have let him into that. To that
2: point, there's an mm-hmm. interesting moment where Whistler is sitting, loading a gun or something, and Blade comes walking up to him, and he says something about you disappeared or something, questioning, seeming to questioning, uh, be questioning his loyalty or something. He goes, what the hell is that supposed to mean? Mm-hmm. And he goes, you keep your enemies close, uh, you keep your friends close, and your enemies closer. Yeah. You do rather remember that. And there's this interesting exchange. They look at each other and exchange a look. And it's like, oh. And then immediately after that sentence, he turns over and looks over at the kid and goes, huh. And to me, I mean, in, in the version of the story that I want to believe, mm-hmm. they let each other know that's what's happening in coded language. And then from there on, Whistler understood. I'd like to think that.
1: At least. Oh, maybe it is code for the two of them of we have a mole. It could very well be. I mean, you, you do make a good point there. I mean, that said... You know, he is a badass in his own right. And of course, we get him returning the favor of saving Blade when the first act of this film was all about Blade never giving up on Whistler and traversing the world to find him. So I like that Whistler got his chance to save his, Mm. let's say, adoptive son, which was nice. Indeed. It was cool. So speaking of partners, let's get to Blade's one-time partner in this film, Leonor Varela as Nissa Damaskinos, who, aside from obviously being a model, no surprise, folks mm. may know her from the '99 TV film Cleopatra. So when oh. it comes to to uh, this character of Nissa, you know we, we touched up on her a little bit, Moz, but you know to look a bit a l- little bit closer at her, what did you think of Nissa?
2: I think it was. um I don't know in the making of this film whether they were not confident in her ability. And so they diminished the role uh, a a good bit to match what she was capable of delivering. But what she did deliver for the purpose laid out for her in this film, I think I thought it was sufficient. It wasn't Mm -hmm. anything terribly great. It wasn't terribly anything uh, involved. But I I think it was serving that place that your eye needed to glance over to get to the stuff that mattered. And for that, she filled a role properly, I thought.
1: Mm-hmm. And were you, were you sort of sold when it came to the relationship between her and Blade, or what was possibly budding between her and Blade?
2: Right. I think the, the budding thing uh, I bought, because she seemed confused, she didn't know what she believed, and this was something interesting, and this was sort of like the ultimate alpha. All the alpha men around her were, you know, being brought up to hunt this guy. And she meets him and he is that alpha and she's never encountered anything like him before. So, of course, there is that level of of attraction that's going to be there. And uh, for him to, you know, be a little soft on her every now and then, it was kind of an interesting thing. And she was exploring it. and, And that I did buy her budding interest and curiosity about him. I did buy that.
1: Mm, Same here. I mean, I think she very much does command that respect and she possesses that nobility, Mm. which you would expect someone of royal blood to possess. And she is obviously an accomplished fighter as much as Blade has obliterated tons of her people. She seems to have as much respect for him as he does for her, possibly even earlier than he does, like you were kind of saying. And I did enjoy how playful and at times flirtatious she was with him but it's always done with very great uh, taste and it never comes off as excessive or overly sexual. It always is like very, it's very tasteful, it's very regal if you will, the way she does it, which plays perfectly with the character. And I think she seems to be incredibly practical and is all about doing her utmost as heir to the vampire royal family for her people and her fathers. We see she feels incredibly guilty that Blade saved her life twice. And I think she's torn with feeling the way she does when it comes to vampire public enemy number one of I'm supposed to hate this guy, but he saved me twice. And she's like apologizing to her father. And when she also voluntarily lets Jared kill her in her eyes, I think, though she's completely innocent, it's almost like she's atoning for her father's sins and believes it's her duty to let her, mi- her mistreated brother have his revenge for what ha- was done to him. What did you think of that moment of her, one, letting Jared into, should we say, the vampire Sanctum Santorum, and secondly, basically telling her brother, kill me, finish off the job?
2: No, that, that deserved a, a lot more gravity than it got. Mm-hmm. Um, that turn and what it means to make that turn definitively in that moment um, was not very elaborate or emotive at all. Mm. Um, that that scene definitely could have used a, a whole lot more
1: mm. i mean but were you were you happy with that choice i mean do you think it would did it make oh. sense to you that she would sacrifice herself or let her brother kill yeah her?
2: yeah I, I wanted to see the work though but but like what her father says to her you know I, even you i would sacrifice uh, it, it, you're not more important than the fate of our entire species Mm-hmm. that doesn't land on her and when she's willing when she says i'm going to kill you father she knows that's the 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 nail in the coffin for her entire species uh, for, to a good degree right mm-hmm. and so she's willing to make that decision Like that, that seems really, really, all of a sudden, she was like this person who was completely in control of her emotions and aware of what was going on, aware of the broader picture and her minor actions here and and their implications on it. And she acted accordingly because she was smart. And now all of a sudden, she's such a petulant child that she's willing to forego the future of her entire species over, you know, a, a feeling of betrayal. Um, that seemed like such a giant leap to make that it deserved more work to get there. And we didn't get to get that work. And, and that's a, a detriment to the character and to us as the audience.
1: I think so too. I mean, it was, a, I suppose, a very noble gesture. almost like, I can't live with myself because of what my dad did to this brother I never met. And, you yeah. know, so she's like, okay. but because I could have possibly seen her and Jared talk it out, as in saying, you know, we're brother and sister, you know, I'm sorry for what our father did to you, but, you know, maybe we can be better, but I think probably Jared was going to die anyway because apparently, you know, the virus that he had in him was going to kill him anyhow. So she's like, okay, let's make these last moments you have with us count. Take me with you, as in die before you die, take me with you. And I guess that was maybe her concept of that. So maybe let him die happy knowing he's avenged what was done to him. But it's a it's a curious one. So yeah. getting to the getting to the dark side of the table here, Moz, I thought we could look at the members of the Blood Pack, the team tasked with aiding Blade in taking down the Reapers, originally formed to take down Blade. So of course we have Ron Perlman as Dieter Reinhardt, Matt Schulze as Chupa, Donnie Yen as Snowman. Marit Vequille as Verlaine, Daz Crawford as Lighthammer, Tony Curran as priest, and Danny John Jules as Assad. So when it came to this rather curious group, did you have first of all, your particular favourite and what did you make of of the blood pack?
2: I thought they were a great little comic book team of bad guys meant to be kicked around, you know, like the Brooklyn brawler in the WWF back in the day, every, you know, every week he'd come out and get beat up by the new guy. Um, So it was like a ragtag group of people that, uh, you know, um, it was surprising to me that for two years that they've been training for him and they were not very good at their jobs. (laughs) Immediately right off the bat, you know, one of them gets bit, one of them gets, you know, just annihilated, um. Yeah, they were not very good, but Ron Perlman was awesome. He was so great in this character. And his introduction is so super cool, like the classic, you know, the camera cuts and he turns around.
1: Uh, it was it was great. It was great. I loved his character a lot. So you would say that your favorite out of the bunch was was definitely Ron Perlman's character.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Without mm-hmm. a doubt.
1: I mean, I have to say there isn't much when it comes to character development, when it comes to these guys, but we do get a general idea of what they're all about. And, you know, you were pointing out the one that possibly stands out the most is Mr. Roland Perlman. And like the rest of his teammates, he seems to harbor quite the grudge towards Blade and antagonizes him from the get go. And I will say that the exchanges between the two and the way he meets his end is pretty satisfying. So it's great fun. And he does give me the impression of being the most sadistic of the bunch as he seems to have no problems whatsoever at the House of Pain, where while he's trying to kill reapers, he barely cares if other vampires get caught in the crossfire. So it's like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna shoot and who dies dies. He doesn't even care about his own, his own race. Chupa was another one that got on my nerves from time to time. Go ahead. Uh, he 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 didn't think they were his kind. He
2: walked in there, and his first thought was, oh, these half-breeds. None of them are pure blood. They're not really. So he had a disdain for them from that perspective, too.
1: True. So it's like, I don't care if I kill them, I, I guess. Right. Yeah. They're not real
2: vampires. They're a bunch of like you know people we turn that should be serving us, but somehow get to walk around thinking they're vampires like us.
1: Mm-hmm. very true yeah i guess they kind of like see yeah because there is that that is pointed out for sure it's almost like these are the wannabes of the group yeah you know, they can, they're never going to be us and yep. so yeah it was interesting and as i was saying you know chupa was one that got on my nerves from time to time mm-hmm. and the name is a little on the nose or on the neck as of course for those who don't realize chupa is spanish for suck so <laughs> like couldn't you have come up with a better name but it's like okay <laughs> Um, then we of course have to have the silent noble character like Snowman, who was cool, you know, guy the ninja guy, if you will. Was like, okay, I, I can dig that. And I did enjoy that we got the couple, i.e., Verlaine and Lighthammer. And of course we have the vampire elitist and purist in Priest, who have, he points out even more the whole thing about the vampires and stuff. But possibly my favourite is Assad. And I was saddened mm. he didn't get more screen time, as he's very much like Nyssa with his noble bearing and seems to very much have respect for Blade as well. What did you think of Assad? Did you like him?
2: Uh, I really appreciated him as a character. Right from the get-go, his first line, you know, uh, pull your sword away, your people shot first. And I was like, whoa, it's such an important line that, that sort of sets a lot of the 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 emotional timbre of the rest of the film um, and, he, and he is also really regal about the way he talks um, and I was sort of surprised uh, I was kind of happy that being you know the the black guy didn't die first yes. um, so I, I really thought he was going to be one of the first ones to go I was like hey look at that they didn't do that um, so that, that was kind of cool I did appreciate his character I thought it was he was pretty cool
1: I actually would have liked to have had more of him because he was yeah. so well played and I just because he was, seemed like to be the more educated of the bunch. The rest were kind of like these very sort of jockey kind of chaps, and Assad seemed to be a little bit more of the enlightened kind of guy, if you will. So I really liked that. So let's move on to the wolf in sheep's clothing. On on one hand, and on the other, the who knew who knew that vampires needed lawyers. So we are of course talking about Norman Reedus as Scud. This listeners will probably know from The Walking Dead, the first two Boondock Saints films and the video game Death Stranding. And on the other, we have Carol Roden as Carol Coonan, who is, of course, the lawyer and was also Rasputin in Hellboy. So when it came to these two characters, Moz, what did you make of Scud and of Carol Roden?
2: Uh, I thought Scud was great. He's instantly like really likable. Um, and then when, when Whistler starts coming around and they start getting along, I was like, oh man, now you've got like, you know, his blessing as well. So, and you were so excited for them to be friends, like the old man, young man routine of teaching each other new tricks or old tricks. You were so Mm -hmm. looking forward to that. They played that up so well. and, And he's a really good actor and that accent, um, he didn't have a problem with it at all. Yeah,
1: very, very true. And what did you think of the concept of vampires having lawyers and this very kind of almost stereotypical lawyer, if you will? Uh, what I thought was interesting is
2: that it really brought them down to a sense of where you see them as nothing but just another living thing on this planet, mm-hmm. right? They, they might have these mystical, mythical powers or whatever, but they're still limited to the technology of the era, Um mm-hmm. So now they're getting to, to the point where society's advanced, they need lawyers to deal with this thing, um, or the fact that they are finally figuring out that maybe they can mess with DNA, true, right? So it's like they're getting to this place just like we are. you know, in, in that commonality, we share this thing. They're not that much different than us. They are just another um, biological entity that has a different uh, metabolic structure or whatever, but they are still just a little living thing on this planet. And just like we're uh, progressing closer to technology that shows us, you know, the very, you know, dust of creation, they're getting there too. But I thought that was an interesting thing.
1: So, I don't know if it's just me, Moz, but there were moments when Scud looked uncannily like Rob Thomas, the lead singer from Matchbox 20. Yeah, I guess that (laughs) was a, a look back then. I guess so, because at some point I just think, thought he would start singing smooth with Carlos Santana at some point, because it's like, is, is that Rob Thomas or is it somebody else? Because I know he was in The Walking Dead, but for some reason I kept thinking of Rob Thomas. I don't know if it was just me or, you know, I, or Matchbox 20, but there you go. Now, I yeah. get this was the early 2000s and they wanted to give Blade the hip new young weaponsmith, but the, mm. what the whole jargon of calling everybody by the first letter of their name, did weigh a little thin on me. Mm-hmm. I mean, what did you think of that? Did it, did it seem kind of a little bit... Did, it, did you feel that it was, like, too cheesy? Yeah, th- that's what I meant about, like, the, the accent or the character.
2: I thought it's a hard thing to pull off. Um, and I thought I believed him as it. I, I mm-hmm. believed him as that little street skateboarder punk kid, who you know they have their own colloquial terms and whatnot. So I, I felt like even though was out of place as it felt, not only to us but maybe to Whistler especially, but to everybody around him, he was in a- He represented a whole other subculture that nobody else was a part of. It was his own thing.
1: True. And here's the other thing. With all the weed he's consuming and seeing that he's working on weapons and tech, I don't know if that's particularly conducive to his job.
2: Yeah, well, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) if he was good at at a job, he would, you know, be doing the same thing, but somewhere where his life isn't in danger every day, right? Right. He's here because he can't do it anywhere else. This is where all the misfits end up. So, yeah, uh, there's going to be tons wrong with him.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, but the fact is, I'm like, are you sure? Because you're, you're making weapons here, and you're probably yeah. high for, uh, you know, constantly throughout the day. And you think to yourself, hopefully he's doing, you know, he isn't messing the weapons up or making miscalculations because he's incredibly high. <laughs> but, um, right, right. But But when you're in that line of work,
2: every day can be your last day. So it's just like, yeah, it gives you a little bit of that, whatever. If it's my
1: last day, it's my last day. He's definitely at that point, I feel like. Yeah, I suppose so, and uh, and it appears he has a fetish for the Powderpuff Girls for the TV show, which was into its like fourth season or of uh, six at this time. Did that? What did that seem weird to you to see the Puff Girls?
2: Yeah, I don't know what the point of that was. It was just product placement, or I don't know what it was trying to say about him. Is that he is still an infant in his mind? That he is still a child? I guess that's uh, what they were trying to show us
1: maybe i mean because I, I i don't know in fact whether it was i don't know if it was product placement i mean it could have been but I, and i was saddened that he turned out to be a villain as you mm. know after putting aside their differences seeing him and whistler as i mentioned earlier work together on tech was so cool and just that coming together of the two schools and he'd done a great job of fitting in as heck he had hooked blade up with some pretty cool weapons And you think he could have possibly attempted to sabotage them earlier down the line or he was just waiting for the right moment. What did you think of that fact? I mean, because he's doing He's making the coolest weapons ever. Yet we find out he's uh, an infiltrator or a mole.
2: And I thought to myself at the same time, why are you making these ultraviolet uh, grenade weapons that can actually kill the vampires? And then later it dawned on me, oh, he needed to because they needed to kill these reapers. Mm -hmm. so they did in fact were aligned at least in that goal to say that you know we both need to kill so i do need to make these weapons because we do need to kill these reapers Mm -hmm. so in my head that was a justification for not sabotaging any of the weapons beforehand it's like once we get to that point we have you know the play that we're going to run in mind so we're going to stick to the plan we're going to run that play everything else is really just focused on making sure we kill these reapers so maybe that's why he he made sure the weapons actually worked
1: Yeah, true, I guess, because at the end of the day, I guess they did have a common foe. And when it came to our lawyer, well, my best friend is actually a lawyer, and I'm sure anybody in this profession gets this a lot when it comes to being compared to bloodsuckers. (laughs) Though, he was maybe a little bit thick. Though, Carol Roden is just as good here as he was as Rasputin in Blade, and he very much represents, I guess, that cold-hearted stereotype of the lawyer who will look for anything to benefit him. Um. Yeah, and, and so he no- knows it. Yes, like he, he does. Says
2: when he says, What are you, a
1: human? He goes, uh,
2: Something, barely. I'm a lawyer. He goes, yes. not really, I'm a lawyer. And I was like, Okay, so at least he knows it. And it reminded me of Jurassic Park um, the way, the way um, he's making fun of the lawyer. The only one on my side is a blood-sucking lawyer. Yes. And, and, and then he goes, Thank you. you know yeah i know thank you i'm proud of it lawyers Um, get
1: a lot of a lot of a bad rep in film and tv shows and what have you i think
2: yeah i guess but you know it's like there it's possible to use everything for bad or for good in the end lawyers are really just what they're saying is we will get to the heart of it logically speaking they're just Mm -hmm. orators and an argument um makers, I guess I'm not, I can't find the right word, but their, their, their point is to get to the truth of things using mm-hmm. language and logic. And that's a noble cause. And you can be used well, or it can be used poorly,
1: just like anything else. Amen. A
2: noble profession.
1: Oh, no, no, for sure. For sure. I mean, I, I, you know, I said, my, my best friend is a lawyer, so definitely agree. And, but the odd thing is, we don't see him do anything really lawyerish within the film. Ah. <laughs> you know, he's just kind of hanging around as one of Damasquinos' familiars and just kind of being cruel and mean and, you know, kind of looking gleeful as Blade is being kind of drained of his blood. You know, he seemed like fighting like, Why would a lawyer be there and not a doctor? Exactly. You'd think he'd have a scientist as a familiar rather than <laughs> a lawyer. <laughs> that's why i'm like you don't seem like filing uh-huh. any papers or anything saying or you know even something as simple as giving a paper to Damaschino, saying you have to sign this or something right. like that, right <laughs> like sign these waivers or something that we're not responsible for anything that happens but whatever but um that's like yeah,
2: that, that's, that, that's pretty funny
1: that's what i thought was odd Yeah, so before we address the main OG vampire in the room, let's get to his son and Nissa's brother, of course, Luke Goss as Jared Nomak, whom we would actually discussed as Prince Nuada in Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. So when it came to this character, Moz, what did you make of Jared Nomak?
2: I I thought he was amazing. I thought he was really, really good. He was so charismatic. Uh, You're instantly pulled in um, to whatever he's trying to say. And you almost feel for him even before you find out why you should, right? Mm-hmm. He's got a certain, you want him to, you root for him and you don't understand why um, that's how good and, and how uh, charming of an, of, a, of an actor he was. So I really enjoyed that character tremendously. And the, the, the whole dynamic of, of the jaw opening up, it looked so cool and dangerous. And um, I thought everything about that character was
1: really, really cool so were you a, did you like the the reapers as being kind of the main antagonists in this rather than just regular vampires
2: yeah yeah i thought they were cool and and the fact that even the vampires were afraid of them was yeah. such a cool thing it made them just like really really scary um and and the the prosthetics and the makeup was really really well done uh, and again with del toro not being able to express himself in all these varied you know ways and making it like a Christmas tree of of, of things uh, that are interesting to look at. It forced all his energy on making this one kind of thing look really, really cool. I think he did a great job. They were menacing and scary looking and primal and elemental. They, they seem like they came from the crust of the earth, like they were here before us. Mm -hmm. um i I thought they looked amazing
1: i'm right there with you and the character of jared i think is possibly the most del toro character in this film as he Mm. is the monster with a heart of sorts because he is almost that frankenstein monster who's searching for his creator and he wants to kill him for giving him life and i know that del toro has this Uh, concept of heart very much those in he sees beauty in beasts he likes to say Mm. and that's why I think it's his concept of saying "I I didn't ask to be born and so I'm going to go to my creator and kill him and I suppose also of course being kicked out of the house what the big shame is we didn't get much on his backstory and what exactly happened between him and Damaskinos which I think was a big shame I really would like to see more about Jared even a flashback or something. Did you uh, did you feel that way? Absolutely, absolutely. And and the one thing I was
2: surprised at is Again, how good of an actor he was that when he comes in and goes, father, Mm -hmm. you know, you feel his anger and and his pain just just like bursting open. And even though we didn't get a chance to see where that came from or even understood that that's the way he feels in that moment, he delivers all of that to us. So, I mean, like if we got more backstory, it would have been incredible. It would have been really, really fun to see and almost makes you think like maybe that would have been a great prequel or something they could have done. But um, I, I thought he was so good that you felt the emotional relevance of that moment just because of how good he was.
1: I actually would have loved a Nomad prequel after this film compared to Blade Trinity. I'm just saying. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> but, um, and also what I thought was interesting is it appears that Nyssa had no knowledge that she had a brother until the end of this film, which was curious. Could you think she might know something unless Jared was kind of caged up in some place like Quasimodo and nobody knew about him because that was just the oddest thing. Plus if Damaskinos wants to make him his heir, because obviously he has the Royal ring on his finger at the time, you'd think she'd know something. I don't know. Did you find that didn't you? Did you find that a little bit odd? Yeah, but she is also that naive princess. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, where her mind automatically blocks out things that don't support the view that she ascribes to. So I think that probably had something to do with it. She's a princess. She doesn't know the real world. She doesn't know betrayal or darkness or conniving uh, you know, intentions. She doesn't understand what that can do. Uh, the other uh, thing could be he could have families all over town right uh, so like he he could have she could have a thousand brothers she doesn't know about he might have you know a a bunch of families in the czech republic a bunch of families in romania and here and there so uh, i I just think
1: she was a naive princess Mm, true i suppose you make a good point because i suppose damaskinos could probably have had him shipped over somewhere saying you are one of my princes you are my number one guy kind of thing and just leave him there and you know, going back to Jared, it seems like he's very—he's pla- of course plagued with the constant hunger and lives in constant pain, which I think highlights the moment when Blade kills him and he utters the words, "It doesn't hurt anymore." That was beautiful. I mean, what what did you make of that? The scene in which uh, in which Blade literally sets him free.
2: It's like uh, the epidemic of you know, quote unquote, crack babies in the eighties. It's like you brought me into this world to be this fiending sort of creature that is is a slave to his impulses how dare you um so i I thought that was really really harsh and rough and i understood his point from that perspective um Mm -hmm. and he played it really well and and the fact that they called him like like heroin addicts too um really drove that point home
1: yeah because just the fact that he constantly needs to feed like he has this addiction and just does these things because he it's his survival depends on it and, right. and I think he also knows that he's about to die or his time is short. And all yeah. he does is feel this terrible pain and has to keep feeding. And it was Luke Goss is definitely fantastic. And I hope he gets more work and gets to do bigger things because he's really a really, really great actor and yeah. very much a tragic character. And like you said, you certainly end up rooting for him by movie's end, except for killing Nissa, of course. I was a little bit saddened that he did that, but. I guess he was at that point where he's like okay I'm going to die anyway I'm going to kill a couple more people while I'm at it but yeah. uh, it was it was it was uh, it was it was very tragic so it, it would've yeah. been nice and and that moment would have
2: maybe meant more if we got a moment of uh, a meeting where we got to be a fly on the wall for when they spoke to each other Nissa and, and Jared mm. like when he said oh look at what they did to me or or her that would have been a great moment for her to finally make that turn Yes. We, that could have been because like you see in the rest of the movie, he has these like, you know, intense conversations with Blade. Why he tries to convince Blade, you should come to my side, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes and talks to Whistler and has like a nice little like, you know, grabs everybody by the throat and has this conversation with him. with Nissa. we didn't get to see that, which I thought was maybe the most important conversation we should have seen. We didn't get to see that.
1: Because he seems to have also respect for her as well, because he doesn't kill her. And uh, he, I think he might not. He might have spared her. If she hadn't basically offered her neck up to him, it's kind of like finish the job because I, I think he might have killed his yeah. dad and then just died or, or, or gone somewhere else. But but it was it was. Yeah. And I, I think they, they definitely there was a problem with not giving us more of uh, the exchanges between him and Nyssa for sure. Yeah. So, as mentioned, let's get to the vampire behind it all, Thomas Kretschmann as Eli Damaskinos, whom our listeners will probably know, our MCU fans, will know as Otto von Strucker in the MCU. Also, of course, he was in Resident Evil Apocalypse, Valkyrie, King Kong and Stalingrad. So he has quite a few good credits to his name. So when it came to our big bad, Moz, what did you make of Eli Damaskinos? I
2: thought he was a little underpowered. I thought he would be stronger. I thought like aren't like the eldest vampires supposed to be imbued with the strongest mythical force or, you know, they're able to be stronger with the flick of the wrist than anybody else. The way Jared took him out at the end and the way he groveled to him at the end was just really unbecoming and just it didn't make me respect him as a as a bad guy. Mm. I, I think it did a disservice to the film to not make him
1: stronger. I think so, too. And I think here, Del Toro, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, very much, I think, went with the classic style of what a vampire would look like. Mm-hmm. So less human looking and more alien or monstrous. And it very much reminded me a little of Gary Oldman's Dracula, the one at least we initially encounter in Coppola's version of the story, as you get that very old, desiccated kind of vampire compared to the young, handsome one, if you will. And I wonder whether the actor was channeling that mix between Gary Oldman and maybe possibly Bella Lugosi. So going even further back in classic vampire characters. But um, I, I enjoyed it for that part, for that uh, in that sense. And I am um, want to say that at times the in here's something I've noticed with films I've been watching recently is the inner ugliness of certain characters tends to show up on the outside, as is the case of the Emperor in Star Wars, for example. And I think this is just like Damaskinos, as in he's so corrupt and so cankered inside, it's showing up on the exterior. That's the that's the impression I got, is that's how it how toxic this person is. Yeah, I could see that. Mm, yeah, and 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 here's of course all about the progression and evolution of the vampire race, no matter what the cost. And like you said. He's more of the master manipulator than a fighter. So I think he's just either because he's so old and ancient that he doesn't have the powers anymore. So he's just, you know, kind of hoping maybe to get an upgrade as things progress, the way he can go back to that stuff. Because we seem like bathed in blood and this kind of thing. So I guess his his hunting days are possibly behind him. And so that's that's what I guess what, why why that is. But a curious character. But possibly they could have given us. I think Jared was a better antagonist than Damaskinos between the two, yeah. even though I wouldn't really consider Jared a villain. But um, but it was it was good. It was good. So, you know, talking about the ending, were you happy with how this film came to an end? Because you had you brought it up. So I thought we would discuss it when, of course, we get Blade cradling Nissa in his arms and her just basically turning to, to ash. What yeah. did, did you enjoy the ending? Were you satisfied with the ending of this film?
2: I was, because such is the, the the lot uh of a hero, of a martyr, right? You don't get to have these things. You get close, but that's not your lot in life. You're meant to sacrifice so others can be saved. Um and, and I thought in that it was it was really just the perfect place for that to end. You can't have these things if you're out there slaying things. You can flirt with it here and now and then. You might get close and might tell you, yeah, there's a piece of me that is still human. I can still feel these things. But my lot in life is not to have these things. I have to go out and kill things for, for humanity. Mm.
1: no, I, I very much agree and and I, I, mean, I enjoyed the yeah. ending as well, though once again I, I suppose that is the thing that Blade can really never be happy, which is very it 's very sad that he basically has this one mission in life to rid the world of vampires and make the world a better place for everybody but it was beautiful. I, I really enjoyed it. And of course we've got that satisfying ending where Blade does get the last vampire at the end of the film where he ends up in that strip club or whatever it is. Um, so like we also got a, little, got a little bit of a chuckle after the yeah. tears, which I thought was nice.
2: Yeah. My favorite yeah. thing about the ending was, you know, a Blade emerging out of that pool of blood. Like for <laughs> Like already a super strong vampire, stronger than other vampires, but he hasn't tasted blood in a decade or more. You know, mm-hmm. and he's been subsisting on this thing that he makes that's just barely enough to get by. He's like getting by on insured milkshakes, you know? <laughs> he hasn't had a steak in forever. And then you give this primal creature, this apex predator, its perfect food source, and it just comes out like it just got on steroids. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and that was that was really, really fun to see. And I know that you're a big fan of um, MMA and this kind of stuff. So when it actually came to like the set pieces of the fights, did you like how these were choreographed? Or did you find that maybe they dragged on? Or what were your thoughts on when it came to, to the fighting, the, the fights we got?
2: I thought they were really, really cool because there was so many different martial arts presented there. Um, there were moments where they were doing Wing Chun. Um, there was a lot of karate moves. And then at one point... They start doing WWE moves. So I was like, they are just no, all bets are off. They're gonna put a little bit of everything in there. He almost did like the Goldberg uh move. <laughs> and then he does like, you know, of course, like the 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 bear hug and stuff. It was it was just awesome. And there was a couple of nice little almost like uh Aikido Jiu Jitsu moves in there too. Uh, which was really cool. So I thought uh, they, they picked from a wide palette of martial arts that were represented here. And I appreciated it. I thought it was really cool. I mean, even those scenes where the guy turns CGI and gets sort of like elastic and then lands back into frame into like normal reality looking thing. It was stylized to a level where it just looked cool. And I remember when I was younger and saw that movie in the movie theater, that scene where he turns the lights on and uh, um, her and Assad are fighting Blade in front of the floodlights and how cool they look, how fluid those weird CGI things look. It actually worked. It didn't pull you out of the film. It actually made you more into that world. Um, I thought that that was really, really cool. um, And and, if
1: memory serves, I believe Wesley Snipes is actually an accomplished mixed martial artist himself. And I think- He's a really martial
2: rich. artist for sure,
1: yeah. Yeah, and so I think it's great that he actually got to show that off even more so in this film because I'm sure he did a lot of his own fighting stunts because yeah. we know that yeah. he, is, he is an expert and I believe he's got, he's got black belts and a couple of things. So, uh, so he, it was great to see him do that. So when it comes to ratings yeah. mods, what do you give this film out of 10? Uh, it Depends on what, you're, what, what we're measuring. Whether it was an
2: enjoyable film, whether it was a, a good film. I mean, would I watch it again? Absolutely. Um, did I think it was a good film? Absolutely. Would I recommend it to anybody and anybody? Absolutely. Um, I thought it was a, a, a 10 out of 10 for what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a fun superhero, dark, uh, almost comedy kind of thing. And I hit. I think it hit everything out of the park and it had its 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 drawbacks but you know what what film isn't going to but i think what it did do right far
1: outweighed the few things that it did wrong Mm. Uh, very very well said uh i'm actually going to give this an eight and a half out of ten as i really much enjoyed it there were a few holes here and there which I I wish had maybe been filled in, like, as we mentioned, maybe more on Jared, because he was really such a brilliant character. And But granted, it would have been maybe a three-hour movie if he even gave us the Jared stuff. So, hey, if Justice League can get four hours, I now want the Del Toro Blade 2 (laughs) cut. I'd watch it. (laughs) <laughs> you and me both and moving forward here before we actually get to recommendations moz uh are you looking forward to the upcoming blade film with uh Mahershala ali that's in talks for a while and stuff are you are you going to be watching that when that when that hits
2: without a doubt uh Mahershala ali is such a phenomenal actor he's one of my favorites and and he was already in uh marvel show uh in luke cage yep Luke Cage, Cage. Luke Cage, and he was great in that. I I, I cannot wait, and I've heard rumors that they're going to bring Wesley Sliped, uh, Wesley Snipes in for a character in that uh, movie as well, as uh, some, oh. something older or something. But so I'm excited for it. I, I'm super excited
1: for it. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to myself as, as Ali is a fantastic, fantastic actor for sure. And so just look, at, it can't get here sooner. I'm the only thing that I'm concerned about is that it might get the Disney treatment, so it might not get as gory or as she would say violent as this because after all it is Disney unless mm. they do give us a, I mean, cause I don't see them ever doing a rated R film. They might make it a PG and maybe give us some stuff, but I'm hoping they won't dumb it down too much. If they, ma- if they want to make blades part of the MCU. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I guess yeah. that is a danger, but then again, you know, <clears throat> breaking bad was on tv was it pg or was it pg 13 or
1: to be honest i i'm not sure whether that even got an uh, R rating it was probably a pg i'm not sure what it was in the states in over here in italy i think it was like a pg
2: right so look at what they were able to accomplish if you have good storytellers that know how to make you feel something it'll all work
1: true i think so too I i definitely do and when it comes to recommendations here moz did you have any comics or any other Blade-related things you'd like to suggest to folks? Um,
2: don't watch the third one. Definitely watch the first one and look forward to the new one. I <laughs> don't know the comics very well. <laughs>
1: oh, no worries. No worries. Well, um, I'm going to... When it comes to comics, I'm going to suggest... Uh, which I actually believe I suggested in when we re- reviewed the first Blade film, which is Blade Sins of the Father by Mark mm. The 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 premise, folks, is the daughter of a vampire mafia don... Manipulates Blade into attacking her father's estate with a story about seeking vengeance for being turned into one of the undead, but she and her husband really just want to eliminate the Daywalker and remove her father in a power grab. So it's basically Blade meets the Godfather, which could definitely be <laughs> be a fun fun one for sure. So definitely check that out so that's Blade: sins of the Father. And of course, uh, dear listeners, if you want to be like the wonderful Moz and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email at happinessanddarknesshow@gmail.com. At we really appreciate your thoughts and feedback about the show. You can reach out to us also at happinessanddarknesshow@gmail.com. At feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness in Darkness. You can follow us on Twitter, we're at High Darkness Pod, or on Instagram, under @hindarkness Darkness. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast and feeling generous, you can check out the great tiers we have going on on Patreon. There you'll be able to pick films that go outside of what are considered regular superhero movies, or even just films inspired by comics, like 300 or Road to Perdition or I Kill Giants, or even films which inspired comics, such as Aliens, Robocop, Terminator, and more. To check all that out and uh, let us know what you'd like us to review, that's patreon.com slash happinessindarkness. And Moz, when it comes to you... Where can our finalists find you on the interwebs? And tell us a little bit about what you do when you're not here with us on Happiness and Darkness.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, they can find me on uh, um, uh, Facebook under Moz Manzor or email me at mozmanzor gmail at, at gmail.com. I also do a podcast with uh, Charlie Esser uh, called uh, Full Stream Ahead, where we review a, a lot of Marvel streaming shows.
1: You can find me on there as well. Fantastic. Well, folks, definitely check out Moz and the wonderful things that he does because he definitely does them very, very well. When it comes to me, for you country music lovers, I also host the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. For more about that and where to tune in, you can visit our website. That's com. Podcast-wise, feel free to check out our latest project, Gold Standard, the Oscars movie podcast, with co-hosts Zan Sprouse and Rachel Friend. We're reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture from 1927's Wings to the present day. In fact, on the day of this recording, it's actually Oscar night. So we will find out who the night which 93rd film will be the best picture. Should any listeners wish to join us for a discussion on there? You can email us for a guest spot on goldstandardoscars at gmail.com. That's goldstandardoscars at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And you will soon also be hearing Moz's Dulcet tones when it comes to the wonderful trailers that he's been doing for us. So we're definitely looking forward to sharing those with you very, very soon. And finally. Uh, also, you can find me and Charles Skaggs on the Fandom Zone, where we recently concluded discussing that wonderful, wonderful show, which was The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That's the Fandom Zone. And speaking of things to come on this show, next week we'll be joined by Russ Moran to discuss the 2008 Louis Leterrier film, The Incredible Hulk. That said, when it comes to you, Moz, thanks again so much for joining me, and I very much look forward to having you back very soon. Oh, thanks for having me. I look forward to coming back. Well, you definitely have an open open invitation, sir. So you're welcome back any any time. Well, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next week with Ross and the Incredible Hulk. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people.
0: I against I, flesh my flesh, your in my mind. Two overcomer won't survive. My image is reflecting the enemy's eye, and his image is reflecting mine the same time. Higher, higher, higher against die. Flesh of my flesh and mind of my mind Two of a kind, but one more survive Right here's where the end gonna start at Conflict, contact, combat Fight a sin where the land is marked at Settle the dispute about who the live is Three-word answer whoever survived this only one of us can ride forever, so you and I can't ride together. Can't live or can't die together. All we could do is collide together. So I skillfully apply the pressure. Won't stop until I'm forever one. A doorstep where death never comes. Spread across time so my time never done, and I'm never done. Walk tall, why ever run? When they move, if I ever come, bad man never fed through, tell my never frets the word. them come, General, we're gonna start the mad fire fun. I I against I. In my flesh and mine, and my mind To overcome or one won't survive My image is reflecting the enemy's eye And his image is reflecting mine at in the same time Aya, against God Flesh and my flesh and mine, and my mind To overcome or one won't survive